we're gone. Um, and we love East Tennessee. So we're glad to be back. But I didn't preach last week, and so I'm excited. So y'all better gear up and get ready. Get your Bibles. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's one in the pew. And if you need to take one home, go ahead and take one of those home as a gift from Dumplin' Baptist Church. But I want to ask y'all a question this morning. And it's going to require you to be a little open, a little honest, a little vulnerable. Okay, but how many of you, um, and I, I know this should be the majority of us, how many of you have ever wanted to please somebody, and no matter what you tried, no matter what you did, it just seems like it didn't please that person? Go ahead and raise your hand. Right. Um, thank you for being honest. For the rest of you who didn't raise your hand, you're lying. Um, because we all kind of struggle with this. One of my strengths and my personality is I'm an includer. I want there to be 100, 200 people around me at all times, and I want to make sure everybody's having a good time. And if I think someone's not having a good time, man, it kind of sends me into freak-out mode, and I wanted to include everybody in what's going on around me. Um, But here's the deal. What we're about to get into um, is really centered on who Jesus is. And, and, And it's really common. Everyone knows that Jesus is God, right? It's very common, even if you're not... Um, if you didn't grow up in the church and you've just been a Christian for a little while, yes, Jesus is God. But I don't think um, Christians truly realize what that really means and how that is so significant into our walk with God, our own relationship with God, that Jesus is his son. And and so what we're going to get into is Luke gives us a very clear evidence of who Jesus is. And we're going to be able to walk away from this scripture today knowing that God is pleased with his son and that we do not have to please God. Man, I'm excited. I'm excited. So I better pray before I get a little too crazy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, you are so good, Lord. We just um, praise you, Lord. We fill you um, here with us, God. And Lord, we pray that that worship was something good to you, God, that you heard it as joyful, Lord. Um, but God, as we come um, deeper into worship, as we come deeper into your presence, as we dive into your word, God, I pray that you make yourself ever more known right now, God. That we would be able to look into your scripture and that you would make it so clear to us, God, what it is that you're trying to speak to us, God. And Lord, we just praise you um, for sending your son into this world to bring justice to us, God. And that you are pleased with your son and who he is, God. And all we need to do is be founded in you. God, we're excited to hear from you, Lord. Speak, um, center our hearts, focus us, God. Um, Use me as your microphones, your sons, let me pray. Amen. Luke chapter 3, and if you've been walking with us um, through Luke, it's been taking a little while, um, but that's alright because it's good to dig into the scripture together. But just as a a recap, um, the beginning of this chapter, John the Baptist was beginning and starting his ministry. And his only mission, John the Baptist, his only mission was to come preach a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of our sins. And what he wasn't preaching is that you become baptized to be forgiven of your sin. He was preaching you have to repent to get into the kingdom of God. That's what we've been singing about all morning. The kingdom, the king. And so that's what John's mission was to come and preach a a message about repenting. Turning away from our sins. and And his mission was to pave the way for Jesus Christ to come. And so what's awesome to see is that in John's mission, he knew who Jesus was. 
He knew who Jesus was. Even before he actually met Jesus, he knew who he was. And if you remember, um, they were both, Jesus and John, um, were, were around the same time in their mother's stomach at the same time. Right? Um, and and Jesus' mother, Mary, was on her way to visit her cousin, Elizabeth, which is John's mother. And they were both babies in the stomach. Right? And, and here's how John knew who Jesus was. When Mary entered the room, here comes little baby Jesus inside of Mary's stomach. G- um, John didn't just kind of kick his mother's stomach, didn't kind of move. He leaped inside of Elizabeth's stomach. He knew that there was something special about the presence of even baby Jesus inside of his mother's stomach. Praise God for that. That's how strong and powerful Jesus Christ is. But John even knows, if you look back, we, we, we talked about this um, a couple of weeks ago, Luke 3, verse 15, he says, As people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. He who is mightier than I is coming. John's whole, thing, his whole aspect of his life was to make Jesus great and to make himself decrease. Make much of Jesus, less of him. He who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This is John the Baptist, the great preacher, who's saying, I'm not even worthy to touch and untie Jesus' sandals. You see, John knew who Jesus was, but he didn't fully understand what that meant to him and what that means to us and what does it mean who Jesus is to this world. And so what Luke does, he gives us an account, the moment where John finally understood who Jesus Christ really is. And so are y'all excited this morning? Come on. We're going to be starting in verse 21. Luke chapter 3. It says, Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were open, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Now I love Luke. Luke does a fantastic job of giving us evidence, giving us eyewitness accounts, but he, he kind of lacks in this baptism account. He kind of lacks in what really happened the day that Jesus was baptized. And so for order for us to really understand who was around, um, where they were at, and what actually happened, I want us to look at a different um, account of Jesus' baptism. So go ahead and turn, keep your finger in Luke, but go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 3. Because there's a lot of questions that can be left from Luke's account. Right? If John was preaching a message of repentance, why does Jesus need to come and get baptized? Right? Because we know that Jesus is perfect. If you know it, say amen. Amen. That's a common, that's a very common thing in Christianity. Yeah, Jesus is perfect. So why is it that Jesus needs to come and repent and be baptized? And so Matthew's account, starting in chapter 3, really um, gives us a clear um, description of why he had to do this. Matthew 3, starting in verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John, so that's the Jordan River, to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? 
So here's John's, he, he's, just, he's continuing, Jesus, you're greater than me. Why are you coming to me? I should be getting baptized by you because, Jesus, you are greater than me. And listen to Jesus' response. But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. It is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. He said, let it be now for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. I want to tell you guys that Jesus' entire life, every aspect of who Jesus is and what he has done is, so, is summed up in perfect righteousness. Jesus' life is summed up in perfect righteousness. Paul called him in 1 Corinthians, our righteousness. And that's good. And what that means is that, no, Jesus did not need to come and get baptized. He, he didn't have to come. It wasn't like he messed up and was coming to John, heard John preaching, you need to repent to get to the kingdom of heaven. It wasn't like he said, man, I did sin last week. I need to come. I need to repent. John, please baptize me. Jesus never sinned, not one single time. And he comes to John the Baptist to be baptized because he has to fulfill all righteousness. He didn't need to submit, but he wanted to fulfill all moral, all spiritual, or any human aspect of righteousness. He wants to come and fulfill it so that he could step in at the right time to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Every aspect of Jesus' life was summed up in perfect righteousness. He's the true Savior. Zero fault found against him. Zero misdeeds ever done to anybody. Jesus did not need to be baptized, but he wanted to fulfill all righteousness. And, and what's awesome about this is that the crowd around John, around Jesus, right, they, they saw this as a normal kind of worship service. They came, they were probably praying, they probably sang a few hymns, right? Um, but they saw Jesus getting baptized. But the view from heaven looked a little different. The view from heaven looked a little bit different. Look at going back to Luke chapter 3. Hope you kept your finger there like I told you. Look at the total scene of what's happening here. Luke 3 verse 21 once again. And when they all, when, now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were open and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And the voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. Mark 1.10 says that when he came out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open. That's amazing. That's unusual. You don't see that every day. I wish that when we baptize somebody, the heavens would open up. I would just be throwing people in the creek down there just to see it. Just throwing you in it. But here's Jesus submitting to baptism. In Luke's account of his baptism, he's the only one to show us that Jesus was praying. He comes out of the water and he's praying. And Luke says, uh, the heavens were wide open. I mean, heaven busted open. 
Everyone, everyone around would be focused on what was happening. And then you hear God's voice and we see something that we've never seen in Scripture. The Spirit coming down in a dove, bodied in a dove. Look at verse 22 once again. We're going to be all over this. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. There had never been anything like that in biblical history. Never has the Holy Spirit embodied itself into a dove and rested on somebody. Um, I want to share a personal story. When I was in the second grade, um, my grandma made me take a bath because I was a stinky second grader, right? And so my grandma said, boy, get in that bathtub. And so I was in there and I was taking a bath, but she could tell that I didn't feel very good. And, And so she came in to check on me and she noticed that I had bruises covering my arms, bruises covering my body and my legs. Um, and, and it kind of freaked her out because they weren't there that morning. Um, and, and so she said, hey, let's, let's, let's go to the doctor. And so we go into the doctor and they immediately send me to the hospital um, and, and they do tests. And I was in the hospital for about a week until they figured out that my platelets, my white blood cells were decreasing rapidly. Um, and, and if somebody would grab my arm, it would just be a massive bruise almost within 10 minutes. And and my body began to get weak, and I was losing weight really quickly. And, and I remember my, as friends and families would come in to visit with me, and, and one day the doctors came in and said, hey, Donna, we think you have leukemia, and, and so what we're going to do is we're going to do a bunch of tests, and if your platelets and your, and your blood samples don't come back positively, we're going to have to do um, bone marrow transplant, spinal tap. We're gonna, we're, there's about three or four different things that they were going to have to do the next day. And so my grandma, my parents... Uh, man, they called the church, and, and the church came out, and it, but it's, everyone just came into my room and just prayed over me for, for hours. Um, I'll never forget this as a, as a second grader. Um, and, and I remember waking up, going through the night, people coming in, taking my blood, um, waking up in the morning. My family had gone downstairs to eat breakfast, and it was just me. And I had been a believer for about a year at this point. Um, and I remember just sitting there just anxious and thinking, oh, God, I don't even know what leukemia is. I don't know what any of this stuff is, God. I don't know, but God, I'm scared. And I remember looking outside of the hospital window and seeing a white dove land on the windowsill. And that dove's eyes were fixed right on me. And at this point, I have no idea what that means. I think, man, that bird's awesome, right? It's weird that it sat there. I was trying to see if it was going to poop or something, right? I was a second grader. But out of nowhere, I felt God's overwhelming peace. And if you've ever felt this, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Knowing and feeling that, yes, I had the Spirit of God inside of me because I'm a believer. But seeing that dove sit in that windowsill, it was like God was telling me, Donnie, I am with you. And for hours, my family's downstairs eating, they're drinking coffee. I'm just looking at this dove, it's looking at me. And then my family comes trickling in. The doctors finally come in and go, Donnie, your blood looks great. Everything is skyrocketing. We don't know what the heck is happening. And I look over and the dove was gone. And in a few days, I got to go home. And it was like seeing God was literally, Donnie, I am with you. And we see Jesus' baptism, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit embodies a dove. And it flat. I mean, just think about how gentle that must have looked. A dove flying down from heaven, landing on Jesus' shoulders. And then you hear God say, you are my beloved son. With you, I am pleased. That should cause you to take a deep breath. Seeing that, that view of a dove resting on Jesus' shoulder. 
And here's the awesome part of this, of this whole baptism scene. In that one scene, we see, we hear God the Father. We see Jesus the Son. And then we see the Holy Spirit. Three gods in one, the Trinity. You cannot be a Christian and not believe in three gods in one. It's one scene, three gods, one person. And here's the cool thing. We, we learn um, a few things. We, we see the heavens open up. We see the Spirit coming down. But we're about to hear what God has to say about Jesus. And I want you to read it with me. Verse 22. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. And it said, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well Please, this is God's thunderous voice declaring exactly who Jesus is. And there's two things that we learn from this, um, what, this scene right here. The first is that Jesus truly is God's son who will reign forever and ever and ever. Amen. Amen. He will reign forever. And to understand this, we need to look back into some Old Testament text that proves Jesus is not only the son of God, but he's also the Messiah that has been promise. That's what Luke has been dealing with, that Jesus is what the Old Testament says Jesus is. So go ahead and turn to Psalm chapter 2. I love hearing your Bibles turn. Keep your finger in Luke, though. Don't lose that. Psalm chapter 2, starting at verse 7, and I'm going down to verse 12. Psalm chapter 2, starting in verse 7, says, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with the rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear. And rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you will perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. But listen to this. Blessed are those, are, are all who take refuge in him. The whole emphasis and what this is pointing to is that Jesus and his Messiahship, him being the Messiah, has a unique father-son relationship with God. You believe that? That his relationship with God is unique. Right here, God is saying, is telling Jesus and everyone around that Jesus is this king of kings. He is the Messiah, his son, who will reign over the entire nations. No kingdom will stand against him, is going to reign forever. This is God's son, the king of kings. And, and, and what we need to take from this. Psalm 2 is clearly saying that the Messiah's kingly reign is going to last forever. But we see um, here that those, um, I mean, let's think about the picture of the baptism. This gentle dove coming down, resting on Jesus' shoulder. And, and when you see Jesus in his ministry, he was gentle. He loved people. He served people. He went to the, uh, to the people that would not come into the temple, right? He was gentle with people. But according to Psalm 2... He is the king. And if you are not on the king's side, you are in trouble. You are in trouble. It says, Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. 
Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Very simple. If you're founded in the King, if you're founded in the Messiah, if your faith relies on Jesus Christ and His righteousness, you will be blessed with everlasting life, according to the Scriptures. But if you choose not to come to the King and to repent, to do life on your own terms, to do life in your own way, leading out of life whatever way you want to do it, and never turn to Jesus, the Lord's wrath is quickly kindled and it will fall upon you because God is a just God. Jesus is a just king. And you need to be founded in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I don't know if y'all are with me this morning. God said, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased. The second thing we learn from this is that, yes, Jesus is the Son of God, but and more importantly, God is pleased with Him. Okay? And so I want you to do is uh, turn to Isaiah chapter 42, because this is going to help us fully understand what that means. And what God is referring, referring, referring to when Jesus says, with you I am real pleased. Isaiah 42. Starting at verse 1. Isaiah 42, verse 1, saying, Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I've put my spirit upon him. Does that kind of sound familiar of what we're talking about this morning? I've put my spirit upon him. And here, listen to what's going to happen here. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands wait for his law. Guys, what God is referring to when he says, with you, I am well pleased, is the fact that Jesus would suffer and where he would suffer would be on the cross in order to bring forth justice to all the nations. This pleases God. And, and if you don't know the Bible, if you, if you never really thought about it, it's kind of weird to say that God is pleased with his son's suffering. Right? How many of you are parents in here? Or grandparents, right? You, hopefully, you don't want to see your kids suffer, right? I know sometimes kids make you mad, but you don't want to see them suffer. Maybe just a little bit, right? Maybe timeout pleases you a little too much when you put your kid on timeout, right? But what is it that, why is it that God is pleased with his son's suffering? And, and, and so the first thing that God is pleased with, with Jesus, is because of his full righteousness. God is pleased in Jesus, even when it leads to suffering, is pleased with Jesus because of his righteousness. He is pleased with his son's humble birth, his humble life, his son's 30 years, at this point, 30 years of living a flawless life. I want you all to think about that for a minute. Jesus, literally the Son of God, lived for 30 years. At this point, lived in the ghetto desert of Nazareth, was the town carpenter. And even after his ministry for three years, he would only be considered that guy from Nazareth. 
Isn't this the carpenter from Nazareth? He was humble. He was the son of God, but lived humbly. And this pleased his heavenly father. I don't know if we think about that enough or even talk about that enough. For three decades, Jesus never messed up once. Three decades, 30 years. Jesus, I want you to think about this. As a boy, you know Jesus had his bros, right? You don't think Jesus had friends? Jesus had his friends, right? I promise you, he didn't walk around like a loner, okay? But even with his boys and his, and his friends that he grew up with, he never went too far with his friends. Jesus grew up around girls who turned into women. He never lusted one single time. 30 years. He was a carpenter. Never once did he use his business to gain more money for himself. He never sinned. 30 years at that point. Three more years until he dies. Never sinned. Never mistreated. Never lusted. Never had uh, unrighteous anger. Never was jealous. Jesus, the Son of God, lived a perfect life. And this pleased God. When Jesus did it for 30 years, we couldn't do it for 30 seconds. His life pleased his heavenly Father. Oh, that's so good. And what did Jesus do with all this God-pleasing, perfect righteousness? He took it straight to the cross and laid it down as a sacrifice for our unjust, sinful, wicked hearts. And He laid it there. God's wrath quickly kindled against sin, against specifically your sin, against specifically my sin. Jesus' perfect, righteous, holy life, 33 years, is the only thing that will quench that wrath that God has towards our sin. And Jesus laid it down. And this pleased the Father. He's the Lamb we sang about He's, yeah, he's the lion roaring around. He's the king that's going to bring justice. But he's also the gentle, spotless lamb. That would be the only thing good enough to forgive us of our sins. This pleased the Father. That's what we celebrate. That's why we come in here and we, and we come into Sunday school classes and we study God's word and, and we pray out loud and we worship as hard as we can because of what Jesus has done for us and what we, I want you to think about this, what we benefit from Jesus' suffering. We reap the rewards for Jesus dying on the cross. And so what you're supposed to do when you come in here is praise God for that. That's what this is what this is for. That's what every single day should be about you living a life that is thankful and has a heart that's grateful for what Jesus has done. For his 30 years fighting sin and not sinning once. So in case you forgot or if you if you're just joining us the whole point of Luke writing this gospel uh, he says it's to give us an orderly account of Jesus and what he has done. And, and Jesus is all about the facts. He's all about the facts, right? It's awesome. That's why I love him. Show me the truth. What is the facts? 
Right? And so if you don't believe after seeing the heavens being split open that Jesus has gotten, if, if the dove landing on Jesus' shoulder isn't enough for you to believe that he is the son of God, if hearing God's voice say, you are my son, isn't enough for you, Luke takes it a step further and gives us this Jesus genealogy. Right? And I'm not going to uh, preach through it, but I want you to see it. Go ahead and turn back into Luke. I told you to keep your finger there. Back to Luke, starting in verse 23. I want you to see what what Luke is trying to do for us. And I'm not going to read all this because there's like a thousand names, right? But this is important. If you're reading your Bible through, read some of this stuff. It's really good for you, right? So look at verse 23. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age. So this is what's happening right here, right now. He's getting baptized, starting his ministry, and being the son that was supposed of Joseph, right? We know that story. He's not really Joseph's son, right? He's the son of God. And so this is Mary's genealogy. But I want you just to, to kind of look. The son uh, supposedly of Joseph, the son of um, Heli, the son of Matatai, the son of Levi. Scroll down to verse 31. You might recognize some of these names. The son of Malaya, the son of Mena, the son of Matata, the son of Nathan, the son of David. Does that sound a little familiar to you? Right? And if you don't know your Bible, God specifically made a promise to David saying through your lineage will be kings that will be set forever. And I think that's kind of funny because I I think we just talked about how Jesus is the king of what? Kings. So there's a promise being fulfilled, right? Scroll down. Look at verse uh, 34. The son of Jacob, the son of Isaac. Those those names sound familiar to you. I hope so, right? The son of Abraham, right? We see a promise being fulfilled right here, right there. When God promised old man Abraham, your um, offspring is going to outnumber the stars, And here comes Jesus Christ, fulfilling everything that God has spoken to. Look down at verse 36, the son of Canaan, the son of Aproxide, the son of Shem, the son of Noah. Y'all know Noah, right? Keep it going, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Malel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, and the son of Adam, the son of God. We can preach for months just going through this genealogy. I'm not going to do that to you, right? But Don McIntyre will. So if you want to learn more about this genealogy, go talk to Don McIntyre, right? He will tear this up. But what I want us to see and what Luke is trying to see is that Adam, that he, it ends with Adam, the first man ever created, whoever walked on this earth was Adam, right? And so you can kind of call Adam the first son of God. He created Adam, and through Adam, he created Eve, and through Adam and Eve coming together, they populated the world. Right? And, and so we can kind of say, yeah, Adam's the son of, of the son, the first son of God. But here's what Adam does. Yeah, he brought life and, and human beings, and he populated the world. But Adam brought more than that. Adam brought a curse that would follow mankind for all of eternity until Jesus comes back. Adam brought a curse. He brought sin into the world. Now we have um, cancers. Now we have death. Now we have evilness. Now we have a wicked heart because of what Adam has brought into the world. But here's the thing. When you look at this genealogy, yes, death and sin started with Adam. But when Jesus is born, he brings something completely different. 
When Jesus was born, he comes in and he redeems the curse that was brought on on mankind because of who Adam is and what Adam has done. Jesus comes in. Jesus is born, fulfilling promises. And now he is bringing salvation that nobody else could bring. Who, praise God. 1 Corinthians 15, 22 says, For as in Adam all die. Also in Christ shall we be made alive. Romans 5.17 For if because of one man's trespasses, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Luke's is trying to show us, yeah, Adam messed it all up, but Jesus is the Son of God, and He's going to bring justice to all of the nations. Righteousness to all sinners that would turn to Him. To make it a little more clear, uh, in one of the commentaries I have, it says, Christ, the Son of God, became a son of Adam. Right? Became human. You read the genealogy. You can't fake the genealogy. You might not like your family, but you can't fake it. (laughs) Became a son of Adam. That we, sons of Adam, might become the sons of God. So here's the deal. What, What Luke is trying to show us is that Jesus is truly the son of God. And that God is well pleased with his son's righteousness and his son's sacrifice. And what that means for you today is very simple. And you need to understand this. If you don't understand this, you're missing the whole point of Christianity. If you miss this, you will not be able to enter the kingdom of God. What that means for you is you do not need to please God the Father. You can't. Your life cannot fully please God's wrath against sin. God is perfectly and wholly pleased with his son's righteousness. When God declared Jesus his son, that means that when Jesus died on the cross, right? When Jesus died on the cross, he brought that justice that Isaiah was talking about. He brought this justice into the world that we live in. And because of that perfect sacrifice, as Galatians likes to say, we might be adopted sons and daughters of the king. So when God looks at a sinner who is repented, when God looks at a sinner who is repented, he still sees the sin, but then he sees his son and his son's righteousness. And his son's perfection. And his son's brutal beating. And his son's perfect sacrifice on the cross. He sees his son's blood covering the repentant believer. And he says, I am pleased. I am pleased. But if you are not a repented follower of Jesus Christ. 
If you have never turned from your selfishness, your evil ways, your selfish desires, if you have never fully repented, you might have said a prayer, but that prayer, it doesn't equal repentance unless you actually turn away from where you're going and turn towards God. If a, repented, a non-repented person doesn't turn to Jesus, when God looks at him, he's, his wrath is quickly kindled. Because he doesn't see his son perfection. He sees sin that has destroyed his creation. He sees your sin that separates you from him. And I promise, if you're not a repentant believer, you cannot claim God's righteousness. I don't care who you voted for. I don't care where you live. I don't care who you think you are, what church you attend. If you are not a repented believer in Jesus Christ, you cannot hold anything up to the altar of God and God go, yeah, I'm pleased with that. Your sins are forgiven. The only thing that will satisfy God's wrath against sin is his son's perfect, righteous life. You need to understand that. And so if you are a Christian here, this is what you need to take away. Stop trying to please God. You can't. This was Jesus' life pleased God before Jesus even started his ministry. So what makes you think that what you do is going to somehow please God even more? What the enemy likes to do is still kill and destroy. So what the enemy is going to do is tell you the first time you mess up after you repented, the first time you sin, God's not happy with you. How many of you felt that before? Raise your hand. Don't, be, don't lie to me. You don't have to please God because God is already pleased with his son. Now that's not an excuse for you to sit on your butt and get lazy. Because a repented believer would experience this grace and a repented believer would experience this peace that surpasses all understanding. A repented believer would experience hearing God say, I'm pleased with your son. You are forgiven of your sins. And a repented believer, if he was truly repented, if he'd truly been forgiven of your sins, your life would reflect all of that. Every aspect of your life would be trying to worship God, to serve God, to um, just everything would be about bringing God more glory, to be like John the Baptist go, he's mightier than I. And we don't do it to try to please God, we do it because God is good. So if you are a Christian, God is pleased with you because of his son. Rest in that. Use that for motivation to serve him and to serve others. If you're not a repented believer, if you've never came to a point in your life where you've turned from yourself and turned towards Jesus, you need Jesus. And what hurts me as a pastor is I get to sit back and I, I, I get to see you guys worship and it's awesome. I get to hear your Bibles turning and that brings a lot of joy to my heart. But I, I sit in East Tennessee and I see a lot of people who claim Christianity but care more about their government, care more about their family, care more about everything else rather than caring about how they are serving God's kingdom. I see a lot of people claiming Christianity 
There's no fruit of it. So if you've never surrendered to Jesus, you need to do that today. He is calling you. He is calling you. If you are a believer and and your life isn't reflecting the glory of God, repent, rededicate, whatever you want to call it, get back connected with Jesus Christ. That is the only way to be forgiven of your sin is to be connected to Jesus Christ. And the only way to be connected to Jesus Christ is to surrender to Him. And so I'm going to have the worship team come up. And you know if God's calling you. You know it. But if you're a Christian in here today and you have struggled with feeling the need to please God, I'm going to challenge you to come to the altar and lay that down. Don't let the enemy steal the peace and joy that comes with knowing that God loves you no matter what. We can do testimony times of people who feel guilty over the times they've sinned. We can fill the whole day with that. Come and lay that guilt and that shame down. And praise God for just loving you because of His Son. If you're not a Christian, God is calling you right now to surrender to Him. And what's going to happen is we're going to stand, we're going to sing a song, I'll pray. I'll be down here if you have any questions or you want to handle any business, I'm more than happy to do that with you. But the altar is here for you to come and pray to God. So let's handle our business. Let's stand with me.